Welcome back to our ninth shear. Our learning is dedicated for all in need. When we left off last time, we were actually not done with Perak Chet. We had the second battle of Ai, the Jewish people win, everything is amazing. And now we have the end of Perak Chet. As Yivne Yoshua Mizbeach, Lashem Lokei Yisrael, Bahari Val. Yoshua builds a Mizbeach to God of the Jewish people on Hari Val. Kasher Tziva Moshe Ebed Hashem Bnei Sal, Kakatu Besever Torah Moshe Mizbeach, Avanim Shlemot, Hashem Barzel. Just as Moshe Rabbeinu had been commanded, that's exactly how they did to build a Mizbeach of Avanim Shlemot, full stones. That metal did not touch, and they bring korbanot l'Hashem v'gzbuchu shlamin. Echtav shamalavanim. They write on the stones eight mishnat mishnei Torah Moshe shar katav l'fnei bnei Yisrael mishnah Torah that he wrote to bnei Yisrael. Amazing. This is what they do. So what happens? We find ourselves at the end of battle number two. They beat Yericho. I okay. It's two separate battles, but it's two. They 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 beat two countries, and then they take a break. At least the text takes a break and tells us that they build a Mizbeach on Har Eval. Okay, question is, when did this all happen? So the Radak says, This happened right away. Right after they crossed the Jordan, they go straight up 80 kilometers or so to Shechem, and they do, their, they do this process there. It's going to leave us with the question, why then is it placed here? But okay, that's the opinion of Radak. And the Radak uses a principle that many of us are familiar with, and that's that the Torah, because it's not a history book, does not have to be in order. And so it could be that something happened before, and that's okay. Because that's what it says in Tavarim, on the day that you will cross over the Jordan, you're going to go up to these mountains and you're going to do what? You're going to build a Mizbeach there. The Az And it was okay. As long as the Jews were in Gilgal, they were permitted to have a Bama. There was no Mishkan yet. And that is why they did it where they did it. And that is what Chazal tells us. They went Mark Rizman on that day. They covered the so they, they covered the stones in lime, wrote upon it by covering it in lime. The writing will take and hold better. Built the mizbeach, brought korbanot. They ate. They drank. They were happy. They blessed Hashem. Beautiful. And then they were able to rest. Now the Yerushalmi has a different take on it. That according to Rabbi Shmuel and the Yerushalmi, the Brachot and Klalot and Haragrizim and Areval were not done until the conclusion of the 14 years of conquest. So now, the huge question. No matter what, if it happened right away, then put it back in Tarek Dalit or head. And if it happened 
at the end of the conquest, then write it there. Why do we find it here? It just doesn't make any sense. And so that is the question. We know when it happened, why is it written here? And now the other question is, what was written on the stones? The Abarbanel offers a bunch of different explanations. And he says like this. One opinion is that on the stones, he wrote Mishnah Torah Moshe, Sefer Dvarim. It's called Mishnah Torah. And here, what does it say? Moshe. They wrote the Mishnah Torah. Okay, beautiful. That's one explanation. So they, one, another explanation is that they wrote the essence of the Torah. They wrote the general rules of the Torah. Okay. Ralbag says that on these stones, what did they write? They wrote the Brachon Maklalo. So we know from Sefer Dvarim in Parashat Kitavu, there's around 11 Brachot. So they, they, they wrote those Brachon Maklalo down. Okay. So Yoter Nachum Shaitaktiva Sarah Dibro Shakat of Moshe Bevarshavet by Chanan. The Abar Benel says, that probably the most, uh, the best answer is that they wrote the Sefer of the, uh, the Sarsa Debros, another possibility. And he says, writing the entire Torah, and certainly if you accept the Gemara and Sota that says it, that it was in all 70 languages, but to write the Sarsa Debros on stone, it's not so crazy. And even to translate into multiple languages, it's not that much. It, it is doable. Okay, so we find ourselves with the question, why is this written where it is? Okay, let's finish a little bit of the Perek, and then I want to share with you um, some interesting pictures. So what happened? Half the Jewish people found themselves in Hargrizim. Half the Jewish people found themselves in Har Eva. And in the middle, underneath, which we'll see in a moment, were the Kohanim, who were carrying the Aron. And that is what we're told in the Torah. The Torah writes that in Devarim. And afterwards, and afterwards, what happens? We are given all of the rules of Torah. They read the entire Torah. Or at the very least, the Brachla. And everybody's there. You have the men, the women, and the children. Feels a little bit like Hakim. All the Jews are there. This is a very important moment. All the Jews are there. Now, let me share with you a couple amazing things. So if you take a look at the picture on the left, the picture on the left is an aerial picture of something that they found on Har Eval. In 1980, there was an excavation on Har Eval. And what they found was this magnificent and huge structure. And what did it look like? It was a big square with a ramp. And they, they found some fascinating things on it. First off, the stones were all whole stones. They were not cut stones, but they had picked up full boulders, stones, rocks, whatever, and used them. 
nothing at all, um, nothing at all was cut with metal. It's pretty amazing because that is consistent with not only the Torah, but our psukim here in Sefer Yoshua. And inside the Mizbeach, they found burnt remains of animals. What kind of animals? So this is also fascinating. They found animals that were uh, all kosher, all animals that we use for korbanot, and they carbon dated them. And it turns out that they were dated back to the, the time of Yehoshua. Also pretty fascinating. There's a ramp, as you can see, to get up there. It's, on the bottom picture, it's even clearer. If you want to get a sense of how big the Mizbeach is, there is a picture right there. There's a guy on top of the Mizbeach that is Arki, the fabulous uh, tour guide. So uh, if you ever want to have fun with him, he is uh, great. So uh, that is a picture of him on it. The other one is just a picture that I found online. Okay, so what do you have? You have this massive thing. They also found another amazing thing on it is that there were no images on it. Also consistent with the time. Now, how did this thing remain intact and how did they find it? It looks beautiful, like it's been sitting there for all those years. So it seems like not long after it was opened, they closed it up and completely covered the whole entire thing with boulders. Now, we, we saw that the Radak said that you were permitted to use this so long as there were no Mishkan, Bamot were permitted. So for the 14 years or so of the conquest of the land, and a little bit afterwards, until the Mishkan is built, what happens? This Mizbeach could be a Mizbeach used by the Jewish people. But afterwards, they no longer were using it. Once they were no longer using it, they closed it up. Probably wanted to make sure that people didn't use it as an alternate Beis So it was Ganuz. It was buried, so no one would see it. Pretty remarkable find. I, I'll share with you an article at some point during the week with even more information about what they found in Har Eval. Fascinating. Now, if you take a look at the picture on the right, that is from Tour uh, 1. It's the, uh, the first group that uh, made it to Israel to, uh, to walk with the prophets. We were standing on Har Grizim. That's the mount over there. I'm with uh, David Barrett and Surly Furman. It's great. Um, awesome, awesome view. Now, what you'll see is it's a magnificent day. The skies are beautiful. There is a mountain across the way. That is Har Eval. You have Har Grizim, Har Eval on the outside, and then right underneath it, in between it, there is a valley. That valley, and it's massive. It wraps all the way around to the right and continues far to the left. That valley is the city of Shechem. Now, here's an amazing thing. Why did they pick these mountains? So we were on top of Hargrizim and Har-Eval, or Hargrizim, rather, and you could actually hear noise from in Shechem, even though you're quite a distance away. Why is that? You can see it. You can hear it because the acoustics, for whatever reason, are amazing there. Now, you could almost picture that you have down there in the middle, the Kohanim. You don't have that many of them, but they're the no Aro. And they're calling out the bracho, Baruch Ha'ish Asher, Aruah Ha'ish Asher. How are you going to hear that? Because the valley travel, the noise travels so well in there, you're going to all hear it. And then with a thunderous amen, each group on each mountain will answer what the, uh, the brachot have said.
Okay, so now we still have to figure out why is this? Why do we have this moment broken up? It seems as though, according to most opinions, this either happened already or it's not going to happen for almost 14 more years. So why is it? So if you look at this story carefully, you'll probably note, maybe you even in your head already thought this, there's a little bit of a sense. It sounds like Harsinai. It's on a mountain. They're bringing Korbano. There's an Izbeach, just in Yitro, right after the giving of the Torah, we're given the laws of a Mizbeach. And in Mishpatim, right after the Jews, Ignasim, and Ishma, they get ready for the mountain Torah. What happens? They also bring a Korban. We have declaration of mitzvot. Here it's the Brachu and the Klalo. There it's the Aseris Adibro. Gathering of the entire nation. Everybody's there. We record something on stones. Obviously, the Aseris Adibros are written on stone. Here we write something, depending on which opinion of the Abayar Benel you want to accept, on stones as well. And it follows the defeat of a threat to B'nai Yisrael. Here, it's Yericho and I. There, it's the Egyptian nation has just been drowned in, in the Yamsu. It's only a few weeks later that they end up at Sinai. And yet there are some differences as well. And perhaps in the differences, we'll begin to understand what the message of this moment is. Why they have to go here. Why is it inserted at this point, even though it doesn't belong here? Interestingly, the nation here is on the mountain, not at the bottom, stacked opposite to Sinai. Here, the nation is not a quiet observer. They're answering amen to all the brachot and all the klalot. There's no loud noises from Hashem. There's no fire. The, the overwhelming display, the pyrotechnics, everything that went into higher Sinai, this is the exact opposite. Quiet. God does not make himself as much of a part of this. So what's going on here? What in the world is supposed to happen? Is, is, are we supposed to understand this? So if Yigal has an amazing thing, it's written down there, but we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk it outside. You're welcome to look at it on your own. He says, what's the purpose of this event? It's the Tikkun Something went wrong. Something went wrong at Sinai. The Jewish people were passive. And because they were passive, they end up messing up. They end up sinning. So what happens here? They're not. They are very much a part of it. They're on the mountain. They're the ones answering. So that's, that's the case. But he then says, The Brit is cut, or it's written rather, after the two initial battles, which is an absolute miracle, completely God-driven. It is an introduction. We have the, the miraculous Yericho battle and I, which is just choreographed by God. But the Jewish people are the ones that are doing everything. All of these, they're an intro. They don't get anything from the first two battles. They are the essence of the covenant that exists between God and the Jewish people. And then this becomes an action that shows the relationship between the Jewish people and God. We are clearly 
subservient to God. That is what happened at Har Eval. In fact, the very last of the Barachot that followed is Cursed is the one that doesn't keep the Torah. God is saying the land is yours. I'll help you. And it might even appear sometimes that I'm not even helping you because you're doing it on your own. But understand that this only will work. It only can be if you're with me. If we're on the same team, we can make it happen. If not, we won't. Rabbi Alex Israel suggests that it's a transitional moment for the people as they move towards a more natural life. And therefore, we take a timeout. It's a spiritual timeout. You took two wars, halfway. There's two more major battles that Yoshua is going to fight. We need to take a break in between them to acknowledge the fact that God is the one that's making it happen. Rabbi Michael Hatton suggests another thing. He says that this is a the mission statement of the Jews. It's forged here at Har Eval. It's a declaration of our dedication to God. Perhaps you can call it our moral manifesto. It tells us what we have to do. If we are going to succeed in Canaan, we have to live a different lifestyle. That's what's going on here. And perhaps that is actually why it needs to be placed here, because it is a perfect introduction to Pasuk Aleph of the next paragraph. When all the king of the mountain and the valley and by the water, all the way up to Lebanon, the Chiti, the Amori, the Knani, the Prizi, the Chivi, Rusi, six nations, who's missing the Girgashi, they left. When they all hear this, what happens? They decide that they are going to fight the Jewish people. Pechad. Radak says, what's Pechad? It is it is one mission. One mission. They all come out with one mission and they say, we're against you. It says about Hatton, perhaps the reason why they all of a sudden come against, out against the, the Jewish people is not just that they're a battle, they're an army that's coming through and marching through the land. That is one thing. It's true, but it's more than that. The other piece that's so significant is that the Jewish people declare a moral code. And that's what happens at our Eval. And that's what angers the people so much. This can't be. We're not interested in that. That is not what we're looking at. And that is the perfect segue into Pasagim. The Yoshve Givon, Shamuit Asher The people of Givon heard what Yoshua had done to Yerifo and I. Now, if you look at the Google Maps here, the dot over there is Yerifo which means that the Jews are in Gilgal, a little bit to the right. And then you have I up there. The Jews have taken from the Jordan, that's where Gilgal is camped, to Yericho, to I. Now, there's still plenty of the land of Israel left. You can go there, and that will take you out to Modi'in. And Baz Modi'in, it's a little bit more, and you'll get to the sea. The Jewish people had cut off half the country from east-west, which would also cut the north and south from each other. But they still have to get a little bit more in order to completely cut the north and the south. So here they're in Ai. They just beat Ai. Where are they going to head next? 
So the logical battle would be to go down to the city of Givon. We have a Mesora. The city of Givon is the city of Aljib, which is um, about nine miles north of Jerusalem. It is past uh, Kiryat Yarim, which nowadays is Telstone and Abu Ghosh. It's up there. Now, Givon was that entire region, but the main city of Givon probably was in Aljib. What's pretty amazing is that they found um, a bunch of jugs in that area with uh, three Hebrew letters on it. Gimel, Bet, Nun. Givon. Okay. So the Jews are, are, are it's clear, their next attack is going to be to Givon. So Givon doesn't know what to do. They, they see that they're in the crosshairs. And they see that all the other nations have decided to what? Ally themselves. Pe'echad, one voice. We are going to stand up to the Jewish people. We will not accept the Jewish people. We will not lose. So Givon decides that they're going to do something else. Take a look at Pasuk Dao. They also do something Bi'arma. Rashi points out, We have the same word by the Bnei Yaakov in Shechem. He was also a chivi. So the Jewish people, they do something about Arma. Perhaps we could also say that the people of Shechem and Chamor and Shechem himself, they also do something about Arma. But the people of Givon who are chivi, they also do something about Arma. What do they do? They, they go by Yitztayaru. Hard word. Basically, it means that they um, got themselves dressed up as though they were traveling a long way. See in the picture of the donkey, they put on it bags. Maybe the saddles were old and worn out. The nodot yayin balim and their wine flasks were dried out. Umevukaim, umitsorarim. They were cracked and tied together to be held together so that they wouldn't open. And their shoes are worn out and patched. And their clothing is also their way. They put on dried out clothing. The artist in this picture has Yehoshua in sharp, clean, bright clothing. And look at their clothing. It's worn out. That's the imagery. They want you to see in the picture. They look like they've been on the road for a long time. And their bread was dried. They come to Yoshua and Machne HaGilgal, all the way back to Gilgal. Even though the Jews had captured I, they still went back to their original spot in Gilgal. They come to Gilgal. Bar Pinel says something unbelievable. He says, why did they come to Yeshua and amongst all the people? Because they're hopeful that the masses could be more easily swayed than Yeshua. It's going to be an ironic twist in just a moment. They say to him and the Ish Yisrael, what do they say? So the Radak says that Ish Yisrael is Klali. It's everyone. 
We've come from a faraway land. And we come asking to make a covenant. We want to make a peace treaty. We don't want to fight. The Ish Yisrael says to the Chivi, Maybe you're trying to trick us. Maybe you actually live amongst us. Isn't it amazing? The perception, the people are the ones that, that don't fall for it. The Eich Echrot L'chabrit. If you're locals, how can we make a treaty with you? Yoshua. So they, they, they come to Yoshua and they say, what do you mean? We are Avadecha. So Abar Bedel says, okay, at this point, they realize the people are the problem. So what do they do? They go just to Yoshua and they say to him, we're, we're willing to be subservient to you. Sign the contract right now. So Yoshua says to them, who are you? Where are you from? They say, we come from a faraway land, and we came here because we heard what you did to Egypt. And what you did to the two kings on the other side of the Jordan, that you destroyed Sicho, the mighty king of Cheshbon, and Og, the mighty king of Basha. And what we were told, we were told by the elders of our land, go, send, we're sending you as emissaries, get the message to them saying we want peace. We come with peace. Now, interestingly, what don't they talk about? This is the Arma. They don't talk about the Battle of Eureka. They don't talk about the Battle of Ai. Why? Because if they did, that's news. They're saying, we've been on the road for such a long time. You've only been in the land for a few weeks. We're telling you that we heard everything that happened in the desert, all the things, and now we come to make peace. Now, why didn't they come to the Jewish people in, can we ask this question, on the other side, when they were still uh, waiting to, to cross over? Perhaps at that point in time, they didn't know. Where is their final destination? Where are the Jews going to land? What will be their sovereign country? Now they know that B'nai Yisrael are settling Israel, and that's where they come to be. Zelach menu chame pointed their bread. This bread was warm. We had packed it as food to come on our way when we came alecha alecha. Now it's dry. It is uh, moldy. We had brand new. Uh, canteens, but they got dried out and cracked on the way. And the long journey ruined our clothing. The people take their food and they did not inquire of God. So Rashi says, what does it mean that they took their food? They, they were duped. They looked at their food and accepted the words Asher Tzadu that they entrapped them with their words. Redak says, They looked at the bread. They, they took the bread, and what do they see? It's moldy. It really is. And then, Redak offers a second explanation. The second explanation that he says is that the people look at the bread, and they eat some of the bread, and what is that? 
should be reminiscent of some of the treaties in the Torah. Yaakov makes a treaty with Lavan, they break bread. When you sit with someone and break bread, that shows you're, you're friend. It's not foe. That is the covenantal meal to show that the two parties are on the same side. Who are these people? Abar Benel says they're Nisiei Haida. The leaders, the leaders of the people, they don't ask God. They signed the treaty by And then they sign, they swear by this treaty. So the question is, why do they do this? Why does Givon even do this at all? Why are they trying to make peace? So one possibility is it's self-serving. They see that they're in the crosshairs and they do not want to be the next nation to be routed. They saw Yericho, they saw I, they're like, no, we are not going to fall next. So it's interesting. It's a fascinating piece in Devar. In Devar, we're told, You approach a city to fight it. What happens? You're supposed to call out and peace it. It's an amazing thing. The Jewish people are told that when you attack, fighting battle is not the l'chatchila, but it is the last resort. First, you ask, you call out and sue them for peace. shalom if they if they agree, we want we're friends. We don't want to fight, and they open up their gates. Then they are a tax nation, and they are subservient to you. But what happens if they refuse us? If they if they want battle, then that's fine. Bring it on. You can you lay siege to their city. You are to kill all the people of this, all the men of the city. But the women, the children, the animals, they're spared. And you're allowed to take the spoils of war. And that is the case for faraway cities. This is the key piece. You are not allowed to make peace with the cities that are local. You have to destroy. Kill them. Why? Says Pasuket. So you don't learn from their terrible ways. Question is, what is this blocking? Pasuket Zayin. It says, "Rak me'arei amim ha'el asher Hashem l'tchayekol are these the Rechokom? Are these all cities? So Rashi says, It's a big argument between Rashi and the Ramban and the Ram. Rashi says, We are talking about a voluntary war, not the battle of Eretz Yisrael. But if you decide the Jewish people are growing and their land needs to grow and their border is getting farther and farther, says the Torah, if you're going to fight one of these faraway cities, that's great. And if they refuse, they're not interested in peace, that's fine. Then you destroy them and you kill the men, let the people live. Rashi says, though, this does not apply at all in the cities of Eretz Yisrael. In the cities of Eretz Yisrael, there's no such thing as peace. And there's no such thing as reaching out. And you don't allow anybody to live. Not Not men, not women, not children. It is a very, 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 very tough thing to understand. To kill men, women, and children, philosophically, that is a very, very hard one to understand. 
So what do we have? We have a, we have a different option. And that is the Ramban and the Rambam. The Ramban and the Rambam and the Rambam suggest something completely different. They know all the cities that are local, you are allowed to actually ask for peace in the local cities. And if the local cities agree to peace, beautiful, then it's peace. But if they refuse, then it's And that becomes a fundamental difference between a faraway city and a local city. A faraway city, you don't, not only is it, you, you don't kill the women, the children, and the, and the animals, you only kill the men. But if it's a local city and they refuse peace, wipe it out. What, what happens in Yericho? Cities wiped out. What happens in Ai? Cities wiped out. What happens here? If the city wants peace, then you let them go. You allow them to live. Lamas. They're going to pay taxes. They're subservient to. They need to keep certain guidelines. But you don't kill them. Okay? It's a fundamental difference. So why do the Givonim sue for peace like this? Why do they do this whole thing? <laughs> they pretend that they're coming in peace from a faraway land. Could be that they felt that Rashi was the correct opinion. Not that they knew Rashi. But they, perhaps they thought that that was the sheath of the Jewish people. There was no such thing as peace. Problem with that explanation is, we're actually going to see later on, the Torah points out that actually there was only one group that was interested in peace, the Kivonim. The implication, therefore, is that if more groups wanted peace, they would have been spared. So if there was the option for peace, why does Givon do what they do? So I want to share with you a message. The message says that when Yeshua was on the other side of the Jordan, he sends a message to all the nations, all the kingdoms, in Eretz Canaan says, I'm giving you three options. Number one is you can have peace. Number two is you could leave. Yergashi does that. The Mepharshim say Yergashi goes to Africa. They do really well for themselves there. Or you can fight us. We'll do either of those three. It's your choice. You decide. So if that's the case, then why, are the, why is it that Givo doesn't accept peace? Why can't they come and say, we want peace. We're good with peace. Why not? So Manhattan offers a, a couple different possibilities. One possibility is maybe they didn't know about this at all. They didn't know that there were three options. Or maybe they thought Rashi was the only option. Another possibility is they thought that they hadn't said yes earlier. And now it was too late. Meaning, when the message was sent out from the other side of the Jordan, Yeshua is saying, we haven't, we haven't attacked yet. But now we're willing to make peace with anybody that wants. But if you're the next city up, your peace treaty offer doesn't mean anything. Another possibility. Or here's the third possibility, which is a brilliant tactical move on their part. Perhaps it's the correct answer. They were afraid that if they openly made peace, put out the white flag, what would happen? The other kings that had just created this alliance, it would incite them and the other kings would attack them. So they first go to the Jewish people. They make this treaty with the Jewish people. Why? Because what they want is, they want the promise that they're on the same team. That would hopefully get them the support of the Jewish people. 
So what happens? So you know what happens? Three days go by. And the uh, Jewish people find out that they uh, that they were actually the Givonim who are local. Interesting. What is going on here? How did they find out so quickly? So one possibility is word spread. Another possibility, a beautiful explanation given by the Dat Nikra is they publicized their treaty. They want to prevent the Jews from attacking them. So they say, oh, we're the Givonim. We made a treaty with the Jewish people. An interesting puzzle. Interesting puzzle. The Jewish people go and come to their cities. And what are their cities? Their cities are Givon, Beirut, Akfira, and Kiryat Yarim. It's this area right here. Not far from I shows you beautifully why Givon would be the next one. Okay, so what happens? Big fight amongst the Jewish people. Why? Because the Jewish people say, what do you mean? Why didn't you make a treaty with them? And then the CIA said, but we swore by God that we wouldn't touch them. By Yomru. We refuse. We can't do it. It's an amazing thing. They're going to say this was a shvu under false pretenses. They refuse to take the, the chance of Chil Hashem. This is what we're going to do in order to make sure that uh, we keep our word. Now, they spoke, and now they speak again. It should tell you something. When you have two Vayomrus and the party that you're being spoken to doesn't get anything in between, but there's another Vayomru. It means that you're speaking again with another plan. I, I had plan A, but it doesn't seem like the people were accepting of it. So I'm going with plan B. They're going to be and they're going to be the ones to cut the trees and to draw water. Why those two jobs? Look at the names of the city. Be'arot. Kiryat Yarim. Why Be'arot? What's the basis for their name? Be'er. It's a city with wells. Kiryat Yarim. It's a city with a forest, with trees. It's perfect sense that those are the cities. And those are the jobs. Water carriers from Be'arot. Tree cutters from Kiryat Yarim. Okay, you're cursed. Your job will be that you're going to be our servants. The Abarbanel says that if they had made peace, what would have happened? Lamas would have been paying taxes and that would have been it. The people agree the Jews are pacified at the Nisim because they say if they had made peace with us, what would have happened? We would have had them Lemas, they would have paid taxes, but now there are servants with Olam. It's better than if they had made peace. But they have to answer, why did we do this? We knew what God had told you. It's self-preservation. We don't want to die. 
We're afraid that you would attack us. So what did we do? We did this. Do whatever you think. Do whatever you want us. We accept anything you're going to do. They did that. And they, they saved them and nothing happens to them and they are going to be the for the Hashem and they place that ultimately God will settle in Yerushalayim. They are actually not far. Anybody that's ever driven to Yerushalayim knows that if you take the one, the highway that goes from Tel Aviv, from Yafo, all the way to Yerushalayim, Pass on the highway through the valley as Kiryat Yarim and Be'arot in the same area until you ultimately end up in Yerushalayim. Abarabanel points out that their declaration is we recognize whatever you do is Lithnim, Mishur and Adin. We don't expect anymore, but we appreciate whatever goodness you'll do. I want to end with a beautiful idea by Ravigal Ariel. Ravigal says that there, this whole story is Be'arma. And Rashi points out that the Be'arma is the B'nai Yaakov. Perhaps, says Revigal, this is the Tikkun. It is the correction of the B'nai Yaakov with Shechem. By Shechem, everybody does Be'arma. But what happens there, Be'arma, is that the Jewish people say one thing. They do something else. The B'nai Yaakov say, we'll make peace with you. But then they don't. They wipe out the whole city. Revigal says it's a Tikkun of the Chayt of B'nai Yaakov with Shechem. Here they 100% keep their word. And that is quite a Kiddush Hashem. We'll pick up next week with Perek Yod and see that the nations of the area do not at all agree with the fact that Givon has made this peace treaty. And we'll see what their reaction is and what they plan on doing. Have a wonderful week.